0: Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled How to Own Your Highest Desires, originally produced and published by Mackenzie Van Winkle of the My Audience is Me podcast. We're excited to share this episode with you, but before we do, we wanted to share a positive review recently left on one of Dr. Finlayson Fife's podcast platforms. M. Van Winkle says, empowering. I'm so, so grateful for Dr. Fife's work. Her knowledge has been so empowering and life-changing for me. I'll always be grateful to her for leaning into her gifts and sharing them with the world. Thank you, M. Van Winkle. Positive reviews can really help this podcast be discovered by those who are seeking to improve themselves and their relationships. We are grateful for all of the positive feedback that has been left recently, and we encourage you to leave a review on Dr. Fife's podcast platform wherever you listen to it. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Okay, I am so, so excited to have Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife on the podcast today. I have been listening to her podcast for about three years now, and I just had the opportunity to attend her Art of Desire workshop in January, and it was life-changing. I loved it. So Jennifer, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit
2: about who you are and what you do for a living? Sure. Well, I live in Chicago. I have married and have three kids and I am a marriage therapist. Well, so my, I'm, I'm a licensed clinical uh, therapist in the state of Illinois, but I do a lot of coaching as well and teaching and instruction both online and in person. And the focus of my work, you know, really when I went into the field of counseling was the goal of really helping people have better marriages. I cared about that from a kind of early age and knew that's what I wanted to be proficient in, but also just the focus of my work and my dissertation led me to looking at the issue of sexuality and desire, especially in women and um, my background is uh, LDS, Latter-day Saint. And so looking specifically at the, the ways that Latter-day Saint women have internalized messages around sexuality and self and sexual desire uh, and how that translated into LDS women's experiences. And so that's what my dissertation research was on. But a lot of my teaching has been on how to help couples have more intimate uh, relationships, both emotionally and sexually, and also how to help women, um, es- especially, to confront some of the messages they've learned about what it is to be a woman, what it is, uh, what sexuality is really about, and how to offer them a healthier understanding of both so that they can grow into stronger. Women who have more peace with themselves and their bodies and their sexual relationships.
1: That's so amazing. What an interesting and important work that you're doing, especially within religious cultures. Like, we don't talk about this a lot. And there's a lot, because we don't talk about it directly, there's a lot of messages that we receive. And it's really great that you are out there talking about it and helping clarify and helping women get clear that their sexuality is a good thing. It's a God given gift.
2: Yes, exactly. Love that. Yes. Yeah. I think that because as you say, I think so much of the messaging is more implicit. And so the more that you make explicit what the messaging is, the more people can see it so that they can navigate with, with more wisdom. And so that's a lot of what my goal is in helping people.
1: Absolutely. That's awesome. And your your Art of Desire course, I mentioned I was able to attend that in January. And, you know, I'm a person who feels like I have a pretty good relationship with my body and my sexuality. I, I've done work with that. And and even having worked on that, being able to go to that course, it brought to light mm. so many things for me that I didn't even realize I had internalized. And it was just mm. great because you can't work on those things unless you're aware of them.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it exactly. was it was wonderful. So- yeah, I'm so glad.
1: I'd love to ask all of my guests, what is something that most people don't know about you?
2: It's a good question because I've talked so much that I lost track <laughs> of what things I've said. Yeah. Said. So... Uh, but that sounds like me. It, I talk so much,
1: most people yeah. don't know about me.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm trying to think, what is something that most people don't know about me? I mean, there's probably things from my childhood. Like, you know, I was born... With um, This is just one of maybe two things that maybe people, probably people don't know about me. When I was born, I had strabismus or crossed eyes. And so mm. I had to wear eye patches for the first several years of my life to try uh-huh. and strengthen my eyes. And then I had eye surgery when I was three years old. And then very thick Coke bottle glasses that I uh, wore until I was in my adolescence. And so I was... I was an awkward looking child, (laughs) uh, but, uh, and, you know, just kind of had those challenges of, you know, you know, being hospitalized and having the surgeries and things like that. So, but I, um, so there's that, which I think probably, I did not about character building aspects. (laughs) Yeah. And then I think the second thing that is sort of in line with it was that, uh, my father was a professor, and my mom was at home, but there were eight children, and there wasn't a lot of extra money. And so, from age 12 on, we were expected to buy our own clothing mm-hmm. and and any sort of extras that we needed. So it meant there was kind of a entrepreneurial aspect of our family that was kind mm-hmm. of a response to being able to get more of the things that you needed. So I,
1: yeah,
2: when I was 12, I wanted contact lenses really really badly because I was very aware of how my glasses were not adding to my overall appearance (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) and so I you know I started um uh the first thing I started doing was making Christmas crafts because I kind of enjoyed that kind of thing and going door to door and selling them so I was selling stockings and you know just Christmas decorations that I had made and then I the next year did gingerbread houses and so I did that for several years but I was able to earn enough money to get contact lenses, and you know, I did it to be able to buy my clothing and things like that. And that that was, you know, challenging, but I think good for me to learn a kind of self sufficiency yeah. and a, a deeper trust in my ability to solve problems. So I, I think that's maybe something people don't know. Yeah. yeah,
1: getting the contact lenses was probably a huge confidence boost, but knowing that you worked for them yes must have added to that greatly. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes. That's really
1: cool. I see a lot of that in my husband. He had a similar experience growing up where like if you wanted anything that was kind of above, you know, the basic needs or not um, Walmart clothing, then you needed to work for that. And it is it (laughs) has stuck with him. He's an entrepreneur now. And like, yeah, um, he just has that spirit. And I see that with you, too. Like you own your own business. It's cool how those things from our childhood. Yes. Really shape us.
2: Yes. And most of my siblings are are have their own businesses. So it's just kind yeah, interesting. So very yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing those things. Today I want to talk about owning our desires and living from our integrity and why that's so important. So I have noticed that many mm-hmm. of us are so fluent in shoulds and what everyone what we think everyone thinks we should do. But we're pretty mm-hmm. illiterate in the language of our own thoughts and feelings and desires. So why do you think that is? Yes.
2: Well, I think um, I think this is espe- this can be challenging for men and women. Um, and I'll say in a second why that is, but I think mm-hmm. it is especially challenging for women. So I think that, you know, as I've talked about on probably several co- podcasts, is this idea that as children, psychologically we are dependent, even though our we may become physically autonomous from you know uh, um, our parents, our psychological dependency stays intact. Yeah. And so you're looking to people's view of of reality and of you to make sense of who you are, mm-hmm. to make sense of what matters, what doesn't matter, what you know is expected of you, what is not expected of you. And so these are really important to psychological development. It's a dependency that's necessary at first. It's just that it ideally is a stepping stone to a deeper self-awareness. Mm-hmm. A deeper ability to self define in the face of those expectations and to express your own uniqueness in the world and your own integrity in the world. That's ideal. What happens for most of us, though, or many of us, is that this self, the, the reinforcing nature of doing what other people want and staying in equilibrium with the expectations that are around us can be so. Easy,
1: yes. That
2: it's easy to sort of live small, or to kind of keep doing what others expect, or what you believe you should do, Mm -hmm. and not take the more exposing position of defining who you are and what you want and who you want to be. It's a more, it's sticking your neck out a little bit more from the the system the validation system that you exist within and I can I can give more concrete picture to that if that would help but yeah. I think it's especially challenging for women because I think we are somewhat wired to be very attuned to what other people want I think this is a survival reality that keeps babies alive you know that you are yes. very attuned to what they want feel need it keeps babies alive so I think women are, are more wired for this But we're also socialized often into this idea that the good woman, the ideal woman forsakes her desires for the benefit of others, that that's the archetypal mother figure. The idealized woman is not selfish. She doesn't, you know, she prioritizes the needs of others. And so if you have an idea that that's who you should be, and it would be selfish to consider your own dreams or your own aspirations or your own development, well, then it can be very easy to compromise or to sacrifice that because you're trying to fulfill what you think others believe would make you most ideal or desirable.
1: Mm, Absolutely. Oh, there's a lot right there. Like that's a big
2: concept.
1: And I think for a lot of people, like hearing it the first time, I remember hearing you talk about this on a podcast for the first time. And I was like, okay, I feel this, but I can't like, I can't, wrap my head around of it. it. yet? <laughs> totally exactly. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. But one yeah. thing I've noticed as I've kind of been wading through this is like it does feel you were talking about how it can be easier to just go along with that validation and what um yes doing what other people want from you. And yes. I've noticed it's easier up front, but it gets harder as you go. And I'm I'm starting to think Mm. that if you're living from your integrity and your desires, it's going to be harder up front, but I'm hoping it Mm. gets easier
2: kind of as you go. Does that make sense? I I think it does. uh, Maybe with the exception of there may be places of high stakes where to Mm -hmm. have integrity may cost you socially, depending on what's happening or, you know, if you're in a political position and to do the thing that has integrity is going to be great, big losses for you personally. So, uh, it isn't necessarily always easier, Mm -hmm. but I think you trust that it produces good things uh, Mm -hmm. in your life. The more you do it. Yeah. And it accrues more to your sense of identity as being somebody who stands up and does the right thing. Uh, then I think in that sense, it gets easier, um, to do it. That makes sense. Um, but it always takes some amount of courage to do things that are right or oh, needed. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, I think just to maybe give a little bit more to this, because I agree, you know, I'm so used to thinking and talking like this that yeah. it might be hard for people to fully make sense of it. But I think, you know, for example, for me as a child, I, I felt that the ideal that I was being, offered was that if I were to be the right kind of woman or female, I would not prioritize an education, not prioritize a career and I would Mm. get married. And I wanted the validation of that. I wanted to please people around me. I wanted to be the right kind of person. I I wanted people to be proud of me. I also wanted the validation of a man that was emblematic or, or sort of promised implied in getting married. And yet I felt like a pull to develop aspects of who I was. I also was, meaning I I cared a lot about therapy. I wanted to become a therapist if I could. But honestly, in the way that I had grown up learning what it meant to be a female, I I felt like that was sort of a selfish thing to do. Mm, And so I was in conflict, but I did feel that pull within me but to follow it would be to stick my neck out and walk out in a direction that I wasn't going to get the validation of a lot of people I respected. Yes. And which is so um, hard.
1: It's so hard.
2: Yes. And I wasn't sure I'd succeed at it because I didn't necessarily think of myself as an intelligent or academic person. So I, you know, that's a moment of, I can kind of walk the path that people will tell me is the right one, or I can lean into something that I feel inside of me that, you know, isn't necessarily going to get the validation of other people. Right. So, you know, that's just an example of it. And I'm glad that I leaned towards, um, honoring something inside of myself and didn't follow what would just get me validation because it has blessed my life immensely.
1: Yeah. It's blessed many lives immensely. I'm, I'm so glad you you leaned into that as well. Can we talk about why why is it so important to become clear about and own our desires and, and lean into that?
2: Well, the way I would first characterize it is to lean into our higher desires, right? Because mm. I think in general, a lot of us are afraid of desire. And for some of us, for good reason, because <clears throat> sometimes our desires pull us in ways that are bad for us. Mm. Um, and so the desires I'm thinking of are the kinds of aspirational desires that are about growing into someone that you respect more. It's about developing your gifts and your capacities. It's about doing what you believe is really right. Not necessarily what other people have told you is right, but that you honestly in your heart believe is right. That's Fulfilling those, the desire uh, that you have to live in this way is going to make you stronger because you're not a house divided, you're not working against yourself, right? But it also makes you respect yourself more because when you are true to your sort of inner compass, the kind of honest self internally. You learn how to trust yourself more. You become more able Mm -hmm. through developing those abilities. And you don't need other people's approval so much because you've earned more of your own.
1: Yes. Oh, I love that. And thank you for clarifying the higher desires. It's not just every whim or fancy that comes to your mind. It's it's those things that you feel in your core. Like for you, your education was that thing that you felt in your core was important. Yes. Despite the messages you'd been given. Yes. Yeah. I, yes, I love exactly.
2: That. And, and the, you know, the lower desires are the kinds of desires that actually make, they don't expand you. They make you lesser. Mm-hmm. So they may feel good in the moment, but they're ultimately entrapping or compulsive or undermine your self-respect. Those are the lower desires, mm-hmm. uh, but higher desires, they expand you. They take some courage to lean towards them. Yeah. They make you stronger. And, um, they, you know, they make you wiser.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Talking about this stuff just makes me giddy. Like that word expansion. I just love that. It makes me feel so good. It makes me feel like, okay, I want to expand. I want to grow. I want to lean into those higher desires. It's,
2: it's so fun
1: to realize that we have the power to do
2: that. Yes, we do. Human beings are amazing. We're remarkable creatures because we can expand ourselves we can grow, we can become stronger, more able, more able to bless the world, more able to bless our own lives through our choices, or we can self constrict and Mm -hmm. deepen our sense of entrapment. So we have this ability to really shape our lives. Um, But this expansion aspect is is a real possibility. Even if you think the ways you're expanding are small, That doesn't matter so much as the fact of expansion. That that's Mm -hmm. really an important part of feeling alive in the world.
0: Of feeling,
2: uh, um, feeling. You know, I talk to women a lot about sexual. Well, women and men a lot Mm -hmm. about sexual desire. But I think that our sense of desire is very linked to this sense of expansion of belonging to ourselves. Good marriages have a high sense of expansion within the marriage, that there's a lot of room to both be yourself in a good marriage and also grow in a good marriage. Mm -hmm. And so when people feel that marriage is a trap or a prison or a constricting reality, sexual desire will go down. Or yes. desire to really be with the other person, not just sexual validation from the other person. Right. So, yes, this expansion idea is really foundational to the human experience and very mm. important to respect it. Yeah. Oh,
1: I love that. Okay. Can you give us an example? Like we're talking about these are these are big concepts and big ideas. So can you give us an example of someone who is kind of living for that external validation? People pleasing, maybe their lower desires are kind of running the show. And can you talk a little bit about how that looks Mm -hmm. and feels?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, maybe I'll give it in the example of like a couple, because there's there's a couple different ways to do it, and oftentimes couples will come together, both similarly struggling with this ability to be true to themselves, Mm. and yet doing it in two different ways. So, for example, you know, sort of. a a typical I'll talk about a sort of typical couple dynamic and the people that I work with Um, you know, is that the woman might feel like she can't say what she thinks and feels without her husband being upset with her because he wants a certain idea about himself to be true. So she can't Mm. talk about the ways that she's not happy with him, that she doesn't think he's really carrying his weight in the family because she's afraid if I bring this up, he won't agree with me, he won't tell me that I'm right, he will defend himself, and I have so much difficulty sustaining my own sense of self and my own reality that that will be very uncomfortable and aversive for me. Mm, so instead yes. of exposing what I really think and feel and what's actually interfering with my desire for him sexually, I will just feel covertly superior and not bring things up I'll resent but I won't bring it up and have to deal with the overt conflict Mm -mm. so that would be a woman who's or man because depend men can do this too and it can go the other way Mm -hmm. but you know in this version the woman is basically looking for she doesn't want the exposure of what she really thinks and feels to tolerate the invalidation of her husband who doesn't want to deal with what she actually thinks and feels Mm. on the husband's side of it. He handles his sense of self by basically demanding that the wife sees him as a good, well-intentioned guy, even if sometimes he disappoints her.
1: Mm.
2: Yes. And so if she does bring it up, then the way that he pressures is he knows, well, she's weak in this area. She has a hard time sustaining what she thinks. And so I'm going to use all the arguments in my own head that justify me to say, you are have the wrong view and I'm a good guy and you just don't get it. And here's all the reasons why you don't get it. So he's his difficulty with validation is getting handled by pummeling her into the shape that reinforces him. Mm-hmm. So there's two ways people do this. One is you yield to what the other person wants from you. And it's more typically women who do that, but men can certainly do that too. And the other version of is I'm going to pressure you to be the shape that I want you to be. So you make me look good and feel good. Mm-hmm. And very often those two stances get married. Yes. Uh, but they're both weak positions because in both situations, meaning if the, the archetypal husband were stronger, he could handle an invalidating view from his wife. Yes. He could say, yeah, I think you have a point. I can see how I'm doing that. I'm sorry Mm -hmm. that I've been taking advantage in that way, or I'm sorry that I haven't been giving, you know, sufficient room for what you want around this, Mm -hmm. um, but the weaker person will basically punish for presenting a reality that they can't handle right so those are both versions of, of
1: weak of a need for validation how does that how does that feel to live
2: your life that way? Well I think it feels pretty bad because you know these these how to say it the, the husband of that archetypal couple looks much stronger than he is but really he's actually in quite a prison because He can't handle invalidating realities, particularly from the people that he loves most. Right, And so it means that you're pretty fragile. Like really strong people can deal with what's real about themselves and the people around them and make wise decisions in the face of what's true. Strength can handle reality. Mm -hmm. Limited people can't handle what's true and they will – we'll fight against what's true. So it, it, if you're afraid of the truth about yourself or your relationship or the world you live in, you are in a kind of psychological prison. You have to constantly be fighting reality off. And first of all, it's a huge waste of good energy. Yes. But it's also a fearful, anxiety evoking way to live. uh, Because there's, you know, you don't have the confidence that you can deal with the world and the relationships that you actually function within. Absolutely. One of the things that I'm grateful that I have a deeper kind of conviction of from my own behavior is that the truth sets you free. And it's a hard process. And I often have to remind myself, Calm down. Remember, <laughs> mm, yeah. this is going to bless me to just take in what I don't want to deal with. Yes. Um, But it's never comfortable. I never enjoy it. I, you know, always want to resist it. But the truth allows you to now be wiser about yourself, about the world you live in. And that's, you know, if you don't have a good map, it's a tough go getting through life happily. Mm, yeah.
1: Oh, I love that you, you often say the truth will set you free. And a lot of times mm-hmm. you add something to that. Can you share what you, what you add?
2: <laughs> oh, oh, just that idea that <laughs> the part they edited out in the yes. Bible was, you know, yes. it, the truth, it it makes you miserable first. So the truth sets you free, but it makes you miserable at first. And, you know, I, I, I think it does. I think at first, <laughs> you know, you, you feel like, oh, you know, I'm such a loser or yes. how can I not see this or. How could, you know, how could I be so dumb? It's hard to wake up to things. Very. When those scales fall from your eyes, it's hard. It's sobering. It's humbling. But ultimately, now you can deal with the situation. You can solve something much more functionally because you can see what's there. And, you know, we talk about sort of increasing our emotional IQ or like if a team is working on something, I can't remember the name of these authors, it was, it's a book about communication, um, in, in business, but you know, there's so much pressure often on people within a team to edit out information that they know other people won't like, or the boss won't like, well, you really impair the, the, the group's ability to solve problems if truth can't be put on the table and handled. And if you have to manage ego, you really impair your ability to deal with what's going on. Oh yeah. So good leadership always will tolerate higher levels of truth and be able to handle it to make wise decisions. Yeah. Impaired leadership will rail against what's true and will, you know, punish people for getting truth in front of the leader. So yeah. you know that's it's an essential quality of good leader leading.
1: Yeah. This whole answer that you've been giving is just kind of transporting me back to when my husband and I were first married and we're, we're coming up on our seven year anniversary next week, actually. And we have both grown so much. Mm -hmm. We often talk about how we are different Mm, people and we're so grateful for that. Um, but I came into the marriage with the idea kind of that I was the master communicator and we would have these discussions about things that were tough, usually family and splitting time between families for us was really hard at the beginning, Mm-hmm. And I thought I was the master communicator because I was able to kind of shut down and kind of build a box around whatever argument he could come up with. And I had re- reasons for all these things. Mm-hmm. And it took me years to realize like yes. I'm not being a good communicator. I'm being a good talker. Yes. And, and putting him down and not yes. listening. Communicating requires exactly. listening as well. Yeah. Oh.
2: Yeah, good. Yeah, you're exactly <laughs> you're looking at I'm not as collaborative, meaning it's a great way of saying it, that you, you know, that you're not a good communicator. You just like the talking part. Exactly. <laughs> you like, you know, spinning, re- <laughs> spinning reality into the shape that reinforced you. So that's the oh. pursuit of validation. You're saying like yield to the view and of reality that I have. Yes. And what you then had to confront was I'm not really collaborating because I'm unwilling to really look at the view of reality that he has. Right. and how it actually challenges my view and challenges therefore my sense of myself. And so that's hard and that's yet hard. the willingness to do it and wake up to it is the thing that both is a is a, an expression of strength and makes us stronger.
1: Absolutely. And it's been so fun to lean into that and and learn how to actually be a good communicator and the story that I told myself was I'm a good communicator he doesn't really know how to communicate. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know how to express his feelings and stuff, (laughs) you know? And when I was able to take a step back, practice real true communication, my husband's an amazing communicator. Like I don't think most men are able to express themselves in the way that he is. And I, I was just pushing that down in, in an effort, like you said, to shape reality into what I wanted it to be. And so Man, I'm so grateful that exactly. I've learned to take a step back and and it's hard. Like you said, it's hard to realize, okay, we both have two different realities and part of marriage is bringing that together and making it work for both of us and it's a really difficult puzzle, but it's so much more. Yes. Satisfying. It's so much it's so much funner yes. and better. Yeah.
2: Yes. Right. You're you have gone through, you know, the process of turning from two individuals fighting for whose reality is going to prevail into a partnership and it expands you, you know, I mean, even though at the time that you're sort of waking up to your spouse's view, you feel like you're, it's getting, you're losing yourself in, in a not good way. The reality is that really accommodating the reality of another person and making room for two people to thrive expands you. And creates true friendship, true partnership. Yes. And sometimes we're so afraid of that process because what we'll lose about our own view that we don't do it, but we lose a tremendous amount when you don't really learn how to partner.
1: Mm. Um, yes. So it's. I love yeah. how you put that. And we keep coming back to this expansion piece, like doing that creates strength. It creates opportunities for expansion. And that's what life's all about. Yes. It's what feels good.
2: Yes, Exactly. It's, that's right.
1: So we talked about how it feels to be living for those lower desires, for people pleasing, external validation. Can we contrast that? And and you shared how it's really a prison. It's a fearful and um, anxiety provoking state to be in. So can we contrast mm-hmm. that with an example of someone who is living from their integrity and their higher desires? And and how does that feel?
2: Well. Maybe I'll just use the same kind of bad, you know, the bad version of the kind of husband and wife yeah. um, validation seeking positions. I think, you know, one, this is just one version because there's a lot of different ways to mm-hmm. think about how we have integrity in different situations. But, you know, for example, if the wife were to occupy a higher integrity position, she would say, look, I want to have a good relationship with my husband. I want to desire him sexually. And -hmm. this issue that I'm not dealing with is interfering with that. I don't want to just resentfully accommodate him sexually or emotionally Mm -hmm. anymore because it's bad for me and it's bad for our marriage. And it's bad for a good sexual relationship because we have sex, but I resent him. Mm -hmm. And so I want, I am afraid, but I want to occupy a higher integrity position in this marriage in order to create something better. Knowing that if I start to speak up, I'm going to be anxious, he's going to be anxious, there's going to be more conflict, and uh, there's no guarantee that he's going to hear me or change it. And so, but being honest and doing my part to create something that's truer to myself and my commitment to love this person then I have to step into the courageous position of speaking more honestly. So her higher integrity position is saying like, I don't have the guarantee of the validation that I'm the good, quiet wife who accommodates the husband. I don't have the validation or the certainty that he's going to feel good about me or agree with me. Um, I also don't have the validation of I've grown up always being the accommodator. I did it in my family. I've done it in this marriage. Now I'm I don't even have the validation of a of a familiar position. I'm mm-hmm. stepping into the void. <laughs> That's scary. Okay, so scary. it's really scary for people yeah. who haven't done it, right? And they don't yes. know, they haven't mastered it, they don't know what it's going to do or create. So the, the integrity position would be to say, I value creating something more honest and, and better in this marriage. So I will speak up. And so then that wife who might be tend to be silent, say, these behaviors are interfering with my happiness with you. Mm. These behaviors are interfering with my desire for you. I think you're taking advantage of me or, you know, whatever the situation is. And so she would claim the reality of her view, the honesty of her view, with no guarantee that it's going to be validated. And in fact, I would say very likely it won't be Mm. because if it's going to get validated, the archetypal husband would have to be willing to face his limitations, which he's not good at either. He's not good at reality either. (laughs) Okay. He wants the validation of the wife. That's what he's always (laughs) pulling for. So there's a good chance he won't get that validation, but she steps up and does it anyway. Uh, A higher integrity position for the husband is to say, I want this validation. I want to look like the good guy. I want to press upon my wife that I am a well-intentioned person, even though she's disappointed in this particular way. Yeah. Um, and instead I'm going to lean into what is true and tolerate that integrity leads me not knowing that I can pressure her for validation around this issue, mm. that what is true and what my responsibility is, that is my, inte- my integrity with myself is more important than her approval. Mm. So if the husband were to do that, he would sit and listen to that and he would confront, you are right. I have been doing that to you. I can see why you wouldn't desire that. I wouldn't want to have sex with the guy who did that either. Well, I mean, he's a (laughs) guy, but you know, but like I wouldn't (laughs) want to, if I were in your shoes, I can understand why you wouldn't want that. And I'm going to change it. And then taking responsibility, not because all my wife's unhappy, so therefore I've got to do this lame thing she wants. (laughs) No, he's doing it from a position of integrity of like, I'm not being decent. I'm not being fair. And I want to be a better kind of man than that. So that's Mm -hmm. an integrity position that she may have been the deliverer of some information out of her strength. But he, out of his strength, is receiving truth about himself and willing to do something about it because he wants self-respect. It's not about earning her favor.
1: Mm. Yes. Let's talk about how that feels, to live that way. Mm.
2: The reality is I think it ultimately feels great, but the good feelings don't necessarily come right away. They come with time and with a growing identity as someone who's trustworthy and fair. So I think at first it feels you have the satisfaction of knowing you're willing to face something hard, but usually you have a lot more negative feelings at first. The feeling of like, Oh, it's terrifying. I'm a disappointment to myself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How can I have been this stupid? How could I be this unfair? But letting the, that what doing the right thing is more important than your feelings about having not done the right thing. Mm -hmm. And so as you start to change your behavior and you start to do, you're more awake and you say, I'm not going to support that. That's not okay. I can't, I can't do that within myself anymore. I think that, um, as you do that, you start to just have deeper peace. I don't know that you sit around thinking I'm so great, but you have, you have deeper peace of mind. Yeah. You have deeper self-respect. You get treated as a more trustworthy partner because you are. Yeah. You're functioning like someone who's more fair and, um, more decent, but you just, I think maybe even more importantly than being seen that way is that you you just have more peace of mind. You have more self-respect. You you trust yourself more as a human being in the world to handle reality, to be someone who's fair. And then the thing is when your spouse loves you and desires you, you have a way to receive it because Mm. you know that it has wisdom in it. You know that They really choose you out of their strength, not their neediness, out of their good judgment, not their impaired judgment. And -hmm. you have the ability to receive that love because, you know, I was speaking with a client recently where he would manipulate his wife's view of him and punish her when she, when he was, she was not giving him the view of him that he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. But then even if she did desire him sexually or say she loved him, it just would be kind of hollow because he would know he'd manipulated the picture of reality, and yes. that was part of her trusting him or liking him. Right. So it didn't really feel so good because it's, it's a manufactured view. Yes. But when yeah, you he do just function it. like yeah. a fair pre- – yes, Exactly. Mm. So it's just not worth anything really or, or very little because he knows that she's not working with the real picture of who he is and what mm. he does. And he knows the picture inside right. of himself. Right. So, but when you actually act with integrity and you're trustworthy and, and respect worthy, well, then when you get respect and trust and love, well, you know, then you have a way to receive that. Right. It has a place to land. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm That's just thinking right. about how important it is to trust yourself, and I'm I'm thinking like, how does it feel to be with someone that you trust? Maybe that for you is a grandparent. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a sibling. Like, just mm-hmm. that that comfortable feeling of being with someone that you really and truly trust. Yes, and then to think, oh yeah, we are with ourselves you have a home. 24 mm-hmm. seven. So to trust yourself that That's way, right. that feels good. That feels yes.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I I think when you're with someone you trust, whether that's yourself or an important relationship, you have a home, Mm. you know, and a lot of people come out of homes that were completely untrustworthy. The characters within that home were untrustworthy. And so they, they have learned how to screw with reality coming out of that home. And Mm. so they don't have peace with themselves and they don't have peace in their relationships as adults. And it's, it it must be so exhausting even to be lying down in bed at night and to not trust the person next to you and not really trust yourself either. So I think as you create more trustworthy behavior within yourself, not only do you uh, create more ability for a relationship to be at peace, but you can be at peace in your own skin. And that's just in a world that's full of so much chaos and uncertainty to be able to be at peace in your own skin is, is, is a very kind thing to do for yourself.
1: Yes. It's invaluable. Yeah. Wow. Yes, it is. Mm. Thank you for such good examples. Um, and kind of describing how that looks and how sure. that feels so good. Sure. Okay. So I hope people who are listening are, are, liking this, or feeling excited about the possibility of trusting yourself, of expansion. I know that's how I feel every time I listen to your podcast. And then I am done with the podcast, I get back to real life, and I find myself kind of stuck with this question of like, okay, I really want to live from my higher desires. I want to live from my integrity. But, what is that? Mm-hmm. I don't even know what it is. Like we have so many you know social messages and mm. and messages from our church and our society and our family that we internalize. So, how do we begin? Where do we even start to tune in to our higher desires mm. and figure out what we want?
2: Well, I think there's probably two ways that I think about that okay. um, three ways, maybe three. um I think that. Okay. Maybe four. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go for uh, it. See if I can articulate this. Okay. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Uh, (laughs) um, Okay. I know it's a big question. (laughs) One, it is a big question and I'll see if I can get as concrete as I can about it so that it's more achievable. But yes, it's a big question because I think seeing where we're being entrapped by validation, um, is one aspect of it. And then this process of developing into a unique expression of humanity is another process. And um, one important, there's two different ways to think about how you come about this. I think one of the important ways to develop into a more solid person is to look at and take in information about where you do things that are self-deceived. So the self-deception in the pursuit of validation is an important thing to see. So, you know, for example, that archetypal couple I'm talking about, you know, that prior to getting some good coaching or therapy is often not even really aware of how one is chronically yielding resentfully And the other is chronically pressuring instinctively Mm -hmm. that a lot lot of times they are blind to the very process that they are repetitively and um, unhappily involved in, meaning it's not bearing it it creates equilibrium between them, but it doesn't bear any fruit in the marriage. And so the first thing is where, when you wake the willingness, I made a commitment to myself when I was about 17 years old and I was reading a book um, on self-esteem where the the author said something about the importance of being honest with yourself and at the mm. time I just didn't even really know what that meant I, conceptually it felt compelling but I couldn't quite figure out what it meant yeah but I made a commitment that I was going determined to know what that meant and to live by it and and I you know started to really struggle with that what does that mean and where am I not honest with myself and where do I deceive myself and so I became much more aware of this issue And started seeing all kinds of places where I would tell myself one narrative that was not really um, honest with myself. It was just a comfortable narrative. And so I started pushing myself to just face myself as honestly as I could to deal more with reality. And I'm really grateful I made that commitment because I think that's probably been extremely, like, uh, of everything I've done, maybe the most important thing. Because it's allowed me to just keep dealing with what's real about myself and um, incorporate what's real into my choices. Because then my choices became more a function of strength and more likely to accrue to something good within me. Because I'm dealing with more of reality. So that's that's one way of doing it, which is you're looking for your self-deception. You're looking for the ways that you function in a way to. Hide either use another people person or yield to another person. Mm-hmm. So I know this is very conceptual, and you know my courses, my online courses are all about trying to help people see yeah with themselves more accurately and to yes. see what they're hiding from or where they're you know, the questions are designed to help people be honest with themselves because there's so that's where all the resource lies. So there's that point. The second aspect is this aspirational creative process and you know as i talk about this a lot in my art of desire course the women's course of that that you are gifted at birth with capacities that are innate to you interests Mm -hmm. proclivities you know just things that the way you're born into the world are specific to you but they are very Mm -hmm. primitive nascent kind of capacities And so how you interact with the world is going to have a big impact on how those capacities either die or get stronger or get expressed in the world. And it is very much a reflexive process between you and the world. You know, for example, I think I was probably born with some interpersonal intelligence that was higher than most people. But then, you know, as I was interacting with the world relationally, And my friends started coming and asking me things and I'm starting to figure out why do people do the things they do? Well, that skill or ability starts growing and getting reinforced by the environment that I'm in. Right. So, uh, so I think that this self-developmental process is really, really important. And sometimes people think of it in the idea of who am I supposed to be? There's some, you know, roadmap that's, been predetermined and I'm supposed to figure out what it is because I'm supposed to be X, Y, or Z. Mm, I think that's a very common idea, but it's a, Mm. exactly. I think it's a terrible idea. I think it's a terrible idea because it puts you in the wrong position. It's like, you're constantly trying to figure out like there's some idea about what I'm supposed to do. And it's not this acknowledgement of the idea that you are a, that it's undetermined. That you are a creative being in a complex world who could take her or his skills in multiple directions and make a difference in the world if you choose to. So there's a lot of Mm, problems that exist in the world, a lot of things that need solutions, a lot of ways that you can make a positive impact on humanity. And the people that are happiest and happiest in their careers have found a way to to solve a problem, to do something that is valuable in the human experience. And so, you know, rather than the following my passion or I've got some nascent, you know, some, some predetermined reality I've got to fulfill, Mm -hmm. it's much better to say what is going on in the world that I care about and how can I develop my capacities to be in response to that? Mm. You know, so for example, I, as a child, heard a lot about the importance of marriage growing up in my faith and I valued the idea of marriage I wanted to get married and I also saw a ton of couples around me who looked very unhappy to me yes that they had yes. like six kids sitting between them and they are on either end and happily so right yes <laughs> and so because I was perceptive enough I think you know I could see that this idea of happy happy marriage was a bit of a fantasy because I saw a lot of unhappiness. So as a kid, I started trying to figure out why are people unhappy? What's going on? What makes some people seem happier than others and what's going on in those couples? So I was just, that was just my, Curiosity. And then I became clear like I would like to become somebody able to help couples. Help
1: people. Uh, You know,
2: and there's more between that decision and ultimately getting there because I think I got afraid of it and I went and pursued something else. And then I finally came back to I really want to do this. Yeah. But then in the process, I started to have other possibilities. The issue of sexuality became really clear to me, the issue of self became Mm. really clear to me as I'm trying to solve it. And so then that fostered the development of other capacities. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that there's this interactive process that's saying that, that I want to solve something or be able to help people around something. And that's developing my skill, my interaction with it, plus giving me a clear sense of who I want to become. Yeah, but it's really choice and desire driven, not predetermined State. to become yeah. the person you're supposed to be. It's not fate. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. It's not fate. Yeah. I think there's probably a lot of ways I could have interacted with the world and found something meaningful. And right? created this goodness. is the path that yeah. upcoming and created goodness. Exactly. Yeah. And so I see it as like, look, we're, we're in a very needy world and we have a lot of capacities and it just takes courage. You You have to tolerate invalidation on some level. What if I walk down this path and I don't like it? What if I'm not good at it? What if other people think I shouldn't be on this path? What if nobody needs it after, you know, even though I really value it myself. So I think that there are no guarantees. And the more we're looking for guarantees, often the more entrapped we are, Mm. you know, you want to be wise. You don't want to just go do something that has, there's no uh, evidence that it's needed or valuable. But I think that, you know, it is inherently a self-exposing reality to develop yourself into something unique. Mm. Yes. Yeah. But I think those are the two foundational realities. I think some of the interfering pieces are the issue of validation seeking and how we like want to hide behind what other people expect of us. And resentment, as I talk about quite a bit, is often a signal that we are betraying something in ourselves and doing what makes other people happy perhaps but hiding behind those expectations and not dealing with something that we desire or that we're shutting down you know because when you shut down this inner compass when you distort that inner compass right it's not like a perfect compass that's saying walk here okay but it's it it leads you in a direction if you, if you are so afraid of the direction it's pulling you in that you shut it down or you corrupt it by what everybody else is saying um, and you don't follow it, I think you pay a really big price for that.
1: Can you just state those, those two things that you talked about again one more time for us? Sure.
2: So there's, there's the issue of self-honesty. So the ways that we deceive ourselves into weaker selves. And so this mm-hmm. issue of being willing to wake ourselves up in a moral sense to what we're doing, to where we self-betray or we betray others, where we're dishonest with ourselves or dishonest with others. You know, this kind of being willing to face what you see as true. So that's mm-hmm. the kind of moral aspect of it and yeah. the kind of backbone of a self that's really important. And then there's this creative self-expressive element of self yes. that's about – and these are linked ideas. They They – they they rest upon one another, but but um, that's about how do I take who I am and develop capacity where I can do something valuable, make a difference in whatever sphere that is. That may be mm-hmm. in the four walls of your home and as a parent. That may be in a specific developed capacity that makes a difference in the economic world or the social world. But doing something that has value to humanity is. How do I take the gifts I have and develop them in ways that could make a difference in huma- to humanity?
1: That's so powerful. And I, I'm really loving that you pointed out, it's not this path that we're trying to discover or find. It's not fate. It's not predetermined. It's just, we are born yeah. with a capacity and ability yes. to create goodness. And yes. you have the exactly. choice to direct how you're going to do that in the world. That's yes. really freeing. Exactly. Yeah. Because I feel yes, like we're- we're Exactly. Totally, it's really freeing. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: We're given yeah. this message that there's some specific thing that we're supposed to do. And a lot of us, I think, spend our whole life trying to figure out what that is rather than actually
2: doing. Right. Mm. Yes, exactly. And I see a lot of when people do that, they waste, they're kind of looking for security really in sort of a way to justify waiting for security of certainty- yes. Yes. and not having to tolerate just the exposure and the responsibility that's fundamental to forging a self in the world but i think it also sets you up to look for signs and signals and reinforcements and so on and and i'm all for good judgment yes but sometimes when you're looking for signs it actually interferes with your good judgment yes like is this a risk i can take is this a risk i can tolerate do i think it's uh, wise enough to step in this direction and to invest in this reality, rather than you know God told me I should move here, you know, um, mm-hmm. and so I'm waiting for this reality to unfold, rather than what am I actually doing and creating, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, the high idea of pray like it all depends on God, but work like it all depends on you. It's I think that's that's a good idea good
1: way to approach it because yeah. you know
2: I I think yeah you know I think in my own life I. I think I see God more looking backwards that there were opportunities and places or invitations to step towards something and to solve or to uh, get stronger in some area. But I, at the time it wasn't like I'm looking for that reassurance. It's more that I'm working hard, developing abilities, following my heart and inner compass, and then possibilities present themselves because you're able to respond to them Mm. or reach towards them. Yes, But I think if you're looking for that, you can't see it. You can't see what's right in front of you because you're too busy looking for reassurance. And so it's that validation seeking versus creative, integrity-based, you know, uh,
1: engagement with the world. Yeah. When I was going through my graduate program, I I knew that I wanted to do it. I had that strong pull similar to what you've described of like education is so important and I want to pursue this. But I had this underlying anxiety of like mm-hmm. I'm I'm we've been married for about 5 years. We've been waiting to have kids for so long. I wasn't getting that validation mm-hmm. from kind of our culture of being a stay-at-home mother, um mm-hmm. getting married and having kids right away and that was that was tough to deal with. And I Mm -hmm. used to joke that I wish I could just get an email from God telling me when I'm supposed to do what and Mm -hmm. how (laughs) how I'm supposed to start our family and when I'm supposed to have kids. And it's interesting looking back now, like you were describing, I see so many invitations Mm -hmm. and I'm so grateful that I took the ones that I did. And I'm realizing like I didn't Mm -hmm. need that email. My life is being guided. Right. Um but what has always made the difference is that I took a step forward using my judgment.
2: That's that's, right. That step forward. That's exactly how I would think of it. That's the mechanism. Yes. Stepping forward with, with their, with your best judgment. Like, yes. What, what do I think is wise? What do I think is is sort of, you know, sometimes we tell these stories culturally of these, you did this thing; it didn't make any sense, and then all these great things happened. Yeah, I just don't think they're very helpful stories. Like, yeah, I, I just I think that's extremely the exception. I think the basic rule is that people who've created good lives have just been in a pattern of consistently good judgments, of assessing the risks, assessing the upsides, and taking deep responsibility for their choices. Um, yeah. And yeah bringing everything they can to bear on that choice. And so I think when we're imagining that, you know, God's orchestrating the whole thing and, and we're just puppets and, you know, we may have no idea why we're doing this, but just everything's going to work out. I, I, I think that's absolutely the exception. And I have, at least in a clinical sense, many more examples of people who make those choices and are just making lots of impaired choices in their lives based on some fantasy that God's going to fulfill something rather than really a deep yes. responsibility for who yes. they are. There's more external locus of control rather than an internal one. Well, we talk about so much in
1: our faith agency. That is a gift that God has given to us and he yes. expects us exactly. to use it. Yeah. To be an agent of change. Absolutely. To move forward.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's I how you become that. wise. That's how you become, yeah, a better yeah. human being.
1: One thing that's kind of bouncing around in my head with all of this too is like, we have to understand that our uniqueness, our agency, our reality is valid to be able to take a step forward. Like we have to own that and understand that it's valid with or without validation from other
2: people. Um, Yes, exactly. I think, you know, and just sort of thinking about this right now that I think when I was a child, I would pray and I believed God felt that way. Like I, I just felt Mm. like God valued that assertion of self. I wasn't looking for, should I be a therapist? Should I do this? I, I I really didn't even think like that so much. I I maybe prayed more for help me be wise in making those choices or, Mm. you know, help me, uh, make sure that, you know, I'm, thinking about this in the right way. So it's more like, help me be a good assessor of reality. Yes. <laughs> and I, I think about, like, why did I think, because I, I think there's a lot of people who have role modeled a more dependent position on God than that. I think maybe one of the reasons why I I related to God in that way is because my family style was a bit that way, you know, where I I haven't really put this together till right now because we started mm. the conversation this way, but yeah. You know, the idea that at 13, if I wanted contact lenses, I would need to solve that. And my parents weren't mm-hmm. telling me how to solve it. They were too busy to come up with solutions. So I went yeah. to the library. I read a book on how to make money for, you know, teenagers or whatever. Awesome. And the Christmas craft idea was in that book. And so I started doing it. And then the gingerbread house idea. So that, that was this idea like the world's complex. There are problems and you have the ability to solve them. So, and you're going to make mistakes. Some things don't work out. You know, I started selling the gingerbread houses for too little money at first. And so the ingredients were taking up like 60% of the sales. (laughs) And and so, I mean, and so I raised the prices and all this stuff. So you learn, you know, you, you make, you learn things and that process was legitimate in my family or maybe Mm. necessary in my family. So that shaped how I sort of see, god in a sense interesting. And so i think that yeah. probably impacted the way i was i wasn't looking for someone to tell me how to do it
1: so interesting your parents weren't modeling this kind of good fairy idea like we just hand you everything that you need that a lot of people kind of think of god as like he will yes. provide everything and it's it's like well yes he will but that doesn't get you out of the need to act the need to move forward, the need to create right. your own life, right,
2: mm. right,
1: exactly. Interesting, and that's cool. Exactly. You just made that connection with the way you were raised. Yeah, <laughs> the way you see God. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So, just kind of to start, so many amazing things that you've shared. Thank you so much. I I love every bit. I cannot sure. wait to go and listen to this again. Just kind of to wrap up, I another question I love to ask everyone that I interview is: Were there any fears or expectations that you had to let go of or overcome to lean into mm-hmm. the work that you do?
2: Yeah, quite a few, really. I think uh, just in the level of even pursuing a higher degree, because when I was growing up, you know, I'm in my 50s, and so I I think there was a lot more explicit messaging that women in my faith should not get a degree and should prioritize marriage and motherhood. And I really wanted marriage and motherhood, but I was, I did not want to forsake a degree. And so I knew I was basically saying no to something and I wasn't sure if I was right to say no to it, but I was saying no to that system. And so I really kind of put my head down. Uh, I was at, BYU. And I was trying hard to not date and not meet men (laughs) because I wanted what I wanted. And I also was afraid of getting married to a lot of these people who I felt would expect me to be in a kind of supportive role of their reality. And I didn't want that. And so I knew I was rejecting something and I wasn't sure. I I sometimes wondered what's wrong with me. Why can't I be at peace with something that everybody else is telling me (laughs) I should be at peace with. And they all seem more righteous than me because I, I, I say no. Um, But it, I just, I kind of just couldn't betray this in myself. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I'm, I'm glad, but I knew that it, I did get judged by it. I had men that I went on dates with judge me for it. (laughs) I had young women's leaders who were now, you know, my friends, mothers and things on being explicitly judgmental of my pursuit of a, of graduate work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I did have to deal with that and had to deal with my own self doubt. And, you know, ultimately I just, I just was just wanted, I just wanted what I wanted enough to tolerate the risk. And I felt like I had enough faith in the idea that what I was doing was not doing harm Mm -hmm. and that it was creating something good. Um, and I'd had some experience at that point in my life, being willing to admit to myself what I really think thought was true and what was right. And I had enough confidence in myself to tolerate the invalidation. It's not that I was perfectly certain, but I just felt good enough about it to keep pursuing it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as I started to come up with a dissertation topic and, um, which was, you know, LDS women and, and sexual agency and so on. I I was really afraid like if I really write this honestly, I'll have no place to publish it. I'll have no and I might even get censured if I'm really gonna kind of step in and look at what I think is wrong. And I don't want I don't I this is my group. This is where I want to be. I, I'm not yes. trying to destroy anything. I'm trying to help something, but maybe it will be misunderstood. Yes. And maybe I'll be misunderstood. Yes. But I wanted to be honest enough to look at it honestly as I could. And um, and so that was scary. I think it um, stressed out some people that I, you know, extended family that I think were worried that I was doing something destructive. And yeah, um, I wasn't sure it would even have a landing place at the time. But wow. it mattered to me. I I felt like I wanted to do it. It felt important to me, even though I couldn't figure out exactly what who it was going to serve. But, um, cause this was all pre-internet, you know, I mean, yeah. well, I there was email, but there was no, there was no worldwide web of and podcasting and all that. Yes, so, you know, yes. anyway, so, and then just speaking out, honestly, you know, sometimes I do get harshness and pushback. Um, and I just have to remind myself of why I'm doing what I'm doing, which is my hope of being able to help people, to see clearly enough that they can make decisions out of their integrity and out of their wisdom,
1: you know,
2: whether or not they see things the same way that I do.
1: Mm, That's so strong and so brave of you to lean into that. I, I can see that there were multiple barriers and, and fears that had to be overcome, but look at all the goodness you've created. So I'm so glad you kept pursuing it. Yes.
2: And, and even like from a selfish perspective, I'm so glad because, because it's how you create peace in your life and peace yeah. with yourself. I'm so grateful that I've been able to be helpful to people. I feel incredibly just, I, I almost, I don't know how to say it. Like it, 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 it shocks me sometimes when I'm standing in front of a room of people that have come to listen, like, mm-hmm. how did I get here? How yeah. is it that I get to be so fortunate to be in this position? So I'm very grateful for that. I guess what I would say is I'm just grateful. No matter where this went, I'm just grateful that I learned how to keep strengthening that inner compass because whether or not I'd be in the specific position I'm in, I think that it was blessing my life all along and helping me have deeper comfort with myself and deeper peace of mind and deeper ability to really be in a marriage and to create an intimate marriage because there's more room to really be knowable when you are at peace with yourself. And so the career part of this is the frosting, It's Mm -hmm. and I'm grateful for it. But the more important process is the internal one and what it creates within your most intimate reality of yourself and your relationships. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much
1: for sharing everything. I'm just on cloud nine. I love visiting with you. Thank you
2: so much. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Thanks for having me, Mackenzie.
1: I would love if you could share, where can we go to find more of your work and um, the courses and things that you have
2: available? Sure. So just my website is finlayson-fife.com. On my website, there are, so I have four online courses. I'll be adding a fifth one this fall. Um, But the Four courses are, there's two couples courses, how to, I'm sorry, strengthening your relationship. So it's Mm -hmm. a course designed to facilitate just a a more collaborative, peaceful, happy relationship and really deals with these issues of self-confrontation and self-awareness and how you're playing into a dynamic in your marriage that interferes with its growth and interferes Mm -hmm. with deeper joy. And then a enhancing sexual intimacy course that is looking at the sexual relationship and is looking at the meanings that you're creating as a couple that are perhaps limiting how, how passionate the marriage is, how meaningful and rich the sexual relationship is, and how what you can do to change it. Um, mm-hmm. and make it better. And then I have a women's sexuality course called The Art of Desire that's all about self-development and sexual self-development. Um, and so it's really looking at the issue of desire and its centrality in your development of a self and self-respect and then also the as your embodiment, dealing with your embodiment and your sexuality and having your mm-hmm. sexuality be an expression of yourself And so that's um, that's women's sexuality course. And I have a how to talk to your kids about sex course that's really about helping your kids integrate their sexuality and integrate it with their higher values so that they, you know, it's about developing sexual integrity in your kids uh, or helping them develop it. And then the course I'll be doing in the fall is a men's sexuality course. So I'll be oh, that's so um, exciting. looking at men's sexual self-development and the different messages that men have received and how to be better, more attractive partners, really, <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> because of bringing their own integrity and strength and their own um, peace with their sexuality and creating goodness awesome. with their sexuality. So, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So
1: that's amazing that you have all this online content, especially right now with all of this quarantine craziness
2: happening. Yes. Do you have any? Right. We do have some live things. Yeah. We, well, we have scheduled and we'll have to, of course, see, but in August I have a three-day Art of Desire Women's retreat. So it's Mm -hmm. sleeping over and, um, you know, excellent food and yoga and all that. And so it's really the best. It really is. Uh, that's August 10th to the 13th and just outside of Portland, Oregon. Mm, and awesome. so we'll just see, uh, we're just kind of watching, see what, um, if that's going to be doable. Yeah. We're also making it a smaller group this time. There's a few tickets available still, but we're doing a little smaller group just to keep a little more, uh, distance in the room. Yeah. And yeah. then, um, yeah, and then we have a couples retreat scheduled for the end of October where we'll do a three-day strengthening your relationship retreat, one day in between, a Sunday. So if people want to do both, they can have a day, a little breather in between. And then we have on the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, the enhancing sexual intimacy three-day retreat. So these these live workshops are really pretty amazing because it's really – Stepping away from the kids and stepping away from all the distractions and immersing yourself in to these principles and ideas and uh, being able to self-reflect and and if it's the couples thing in conversation with your spouse, yeah. so um, so they're they're very valuable experiences and I hope we'll be able to do them and if not, will you know we will be postponing them until it is yeah. safe to do so. So where are yeah. the couples courses going to be in October? Uh, they'll be in Jackson Hole. Oh, wyoming awesome. so we have it every year so we've done it for it'll be our third year and uh, it's a beautiful hotel there and and so cool. uh, yeah so
1: my yeah, my good great. friend and I both mm-hmm. came to your art of desire course together and we left and came back and told our husbands, ah. we are going to the
2: couples course.
1: So we can't wait. I'm glad oh, to yeah. know that there's one in October. <laughs> we'll get signed up and we'll yeah, see you there. Great.
2: Great. <laughs> great. Yeah. I haven't started post. I haven't posted the tickets yet, but we got to, we'll get them up just so that they're available for people. To- awesome. And of course, if we cancel anything, everybody would get a full refund, of course. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. so yeah. Well, I'm on your email list, so I will be notified. And anyone else who wants great. to be, get on the email list.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's good to be on there because they sell out fast. Yeah. Yes.
1: Well, Good. thank you great. again so much. I so appreciate your time and sharing your knowledge so freely. It's really blessed my life immensely and I hope thank that this you. episode is able to reach more and and bless their lives as well. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group and more.